0: Welcome to Frost & Sullivan's Growth Innovation and Leadership Briefing. Today's event is titled, Cybersecurity in Healthcare, Three Ways Organizations Can Mitigate Security Risk. Our presenter today is Mike Jude, Research Manager for our Digital Health Practice here at Frost & Sullivan. And it is our pleasure to introduce our guest speaker, Aaron Benson, Director of Market Planning Healthcare, LexisNexis. With that, I would now like to hand the presentation over to Mike.
1: Thanks, Anna, and uh, thanks so much for uh, making this uh, venue available to uh, my research team. Uh, The Growth, Innovation, and Leadership team uh, helps our analysts uh, engage with the marketplace, with our clients, and with uh, other interested parties and allows us to review some of the the new research that we've developed and also, uh, as uh, Anna indicated, to introduce uh, people that we think are the uh, movers and shakers in the marketplace, uh, the deep thinkers. And so I'm uh, very much uh, appreciative of Erin and her participation today as well. Um, This uh, presentation is largely based upon a report that we finished uh, a couple of months ago on uh, cybersecurity and healthcare. And uh, consequently, uh, it is uh, a reflection of those uh, findings that we had uh, as we we conducted our research, as well as uh, some of the observations that some of our internal experts have made on on this space. Uh, This isn't uh, necessarily comprehensive with respect to that report, and I would encourage uh, our clients uh, and other interested parties, if they want to see the full report, to get in touch with us. a little bit of a review on uh, what we're going to do today um, the uh the first we'll cover the uh, cybersecurity threat to healthcare and i'm only going to go over this very briefly because i know aaron has a lot more information on the subject uh we'll take a look at the market for cybersecurity solutions um, speak a little bit about the points of vulnerability that uh actually cause the cybersecurity problem in healthcare and then we'll discuss Uh, Three ways that organizations can mitigate the risks, and I won't dwell on it, but uh, essentially we're uh, advocating uh, strategic planning, uh, an integrated approach to cybersecurity, and engaging with trusted partners. And then I'm going to turn the uh, presentation over to Erin, who will uh, talk about the role of data in digital health, which is very heavily uh, impactive on uh, cybersecurity. had to find my cursor there, sorry. So, uh, before we get started on that, uh, I'm going to turn this back over to Anna uh, to talk about a poll that we'll run during the course of this uh, presentation and whose results we'll review at the end. Anna?
0: Thank you, Mike. Yes, audience, I have uh, pushed out several poll questions that we have available, so if you can take a moment throughout the session and select uh, your answers, either yes or no. Um, Do you believe your cybersecurity posture is sufficient? Do you plan to increase your cybersecurity spending? And would you consider using a managed cybersecurity services company. So uh, just take a moment, select your answer and we'll review all these results later in the presentation. So I'm going to hand it back over to Mike.
1: Thanks Anna. So let's get started here. Um, I don't think anybody on the call doubts that the cyber uh, security threat is increasing. Uh, healthcare especially is uh, setting records for uh, breaches and uh, is on uh, track this year to exceed um, uh, the uh, uh, the number of breaches that we had last year. As a matter of fact, uh, when I pulled the uh, stats from the uh, um, Human, uh, uh, when I pulled the stats from the Civil Rights uh, Office of Health and Human Services. Um, At that point in time, the beginning of June, we already had 196 uh, significant breaches and you can see the breakdown here, Uh, two-thirds of the uh, total number of breaches are coming from healthcare providers. Uh, uh, The other uh, segments you can see here, it's not a good story, it's it's, uh, effectively a disaster and it's uh, apparently not getting any better. But there is good news in all of this, I guess, uh, and that is that uh, the healthcare cybersecurity market is growing, is a growing market. Uh, if you're in the uh, business of providing uh, cybersecurity solutions, uh, you can expect a significant growth between now and uh, the end of this projection period. So in 2023, we're saying that, uh, uh, you know, the healthcare cybersecurity market is going to be somewhere north of uh, $8 billion in the United States alone. With a CAGR, uh, from now until then, of about 10.3%, uh, so, uh, you know, if, uh, if you were in the cyber security space and looking at the number of breaches, uh, this would all be, you know, very good business for you. But for the rest of us who are in the business of delivering healthcare services uh, using, um, you know, automation communications, this is very bad news indeed. Now, in terms of the points of vulnerability, obviously there there are many places where uh, cybersecurity um, is, is applicable, where uh, healthcare IT is vulnerable. Uh, with respect to how we look at it here in Frost and Sullivan, we have a uh, cybersecurity team in our ICT uh, market BU that uh, subdivides cybersecurity into basically five buckets. Uh, there's actually a sixth bucket that we'll talk about a little bit later, but uh, primarily we're talking about uh, things like network perimeter protection, which is pretty much what it, seems to, uh, what it sounds like. Uh, we're looking at uh, endpoint protection, which is especially applicable to uh, things like IoT, securing all these new devices that are in the network. Um, you know, looking at end user access. Uh, providing integrated security across multiple devices. You know, this is a a primary source of breaches. Um, Public facing properties, that would be the new web portals that we're all building to allow patients access to their health information and to, you know, access healthcare services. And then finally, detecting and responding to exploits, which is essentially the forensics associated with what happens when you, uh, discover that you have a breach, how can you detect it quickly, how can you do something about it? And what we've looked at here is, uh, you know, re- regarding the last slide that we had showing market growth, basically between now and 2023, we're talking about $5.6 billion in new revenue opportunities associated with uh, the- these various areas. And you can see on this slide the breakdown associated with each one. Uh, you know, Clearly, uh, these are all growth markets if you're if you're betting on cybersecurity solutions. Let's go to the next slide here. Um, so, in the course of doing this research, uh, it uh, we we discovered that there are you know a number of different ways that you can address cybersecurity, and it sort of implied uh, several innovative business models. Um, these are not necessarily the only solutions associated with getting a handle on cybersecurity, but they present some interesting notions in terms of where you could go uh, to address uh, cybersecurity. And the first one uh, that we show here is integrated security into the clinical workflow. Uh, This is the notion that instead of uh, using uh, uh, access and authentication for every application and for every device, that you build security into the clinical workflow so that you can do things like single sign-on, um, you know, reducing the load on physicians. And one of our clients is actually doing uh, things along these lines. Improvada is uh, you know, looking at how you would take uh, you know, authentication and basically manage it centrally so that physicians don't have to spend a great deal of time uh, authenticating to every device or application. Another one is leveraging patient data to ensure access and privacy. You know, clearly we know our patients. Uh, we have a lot of information on them. Uh, you know, LexisNexis is uh, taking the lead in terms of looking at ways to leverage some of that data to do things like uh, security and some other things. Um, and then, you know, finally, uh, you know, the the extreme is to encrypt everything. You know, certainly uh, HIPAA rules are. Uh, pushing uh, the industry in the direction of encryption. Uh, but if you think about it, if all the data is encrypted, it doesn't really matter if you lose it because you can't do anything with it at, uh, anyway. Uh, one of our clients, uh, Strong Key is uh, advocating that and is developing processes for, for uh, approaching that. You know, obviously encrypting everything has its own problems, which is uh, managing keys and uh, you know, ensuring that the appropriate people have access to keys. So, what kind of an ecosystem are we talking about in cybersecurity? Uh, currently, uh, my team is tracking well over 500 security solution providers, and uh, generally, uh, in the healthcare space, almost that many. And the last time I looked at uh, the list that we're maintaining, uh, it's uh, somewhere short of 600 uh, security solution providers. So, it's it's a it's a massive market. Uh, there are lots and lots of point solutions. Uh, and there's really no market dominance in healthcare. There, yes, there are very large uh, cybersecurity solution providers, uh, but uh, not a, a, a tremendous amount of dominance in the healthcare market vertical. Um, so, you know, that implies that uh, you know, a couple of things. First of all, it implies that the, this market is prime for mergers and acquisitions, and so we do expect a lot of consolidation in the market uh, as smaller. Uh, players are basically uh, acquired by the larger players that, you know, we see, uh, you know, uh, the portfolios of uh, security solutions rather than uh, point solutions. And because, uh, because there are so many uh, security solutions out there, uh, it's sucking all of the wind out of the cybersecurity uh, expertise market. Uh, so it's becoming harder and harder to actually hire uh, specialists in the cybersecurity space. Consequently, it's driving up the price to uh, to acquire those individuals. It's making it harder for um, individual health IT organizations to uh, acquire the necessary expertise to um, you know address cybersecurity uh, comprehensively. And as a consequence, we believe that this is going to drive uh, a market for trusted partners who can. Uh, first of all, help plan uh, security strategies and uh, second, uh, secondly, uh, maybe even manage or uh, maintain the cybersecurity solutions for uh, health IT organizations. So this is where the managed services market comes in. Uh, there's a growing market for that across all market verticals, but uh, we're seeing a lot more interest in the healthcare space uh, for managed uh, cybersecurity solutions. So, this brings us to, uh, generally, to three different ways to mitigate risk, and uh, I mentioned those in the introduction, but uh, you know, the first one is simply to start planning for cybersecurity. Um, we've discovered in surveys that we've run that uh, although many health IT organizations talk in terms of planning for cybersecurity, most don't really have comprehensive security plans. Uh, this is largely, I think, an artifact of of the fact that uh, cybersecurity expertise is hard to get and uh, secondly that uh, the threat is evolving so quickly. But as you can see from this little chart here, you know, it's almost a Pareto analysis, looking at your entire infrastructure, looking at the points of vulnerability, assigning a risk quotient to each one of those points and getting a at least a snapshot idea of where your points of vulnerability are and how likely it is that they'll be exploited. Uh, that certainly gives you an idea of where to invest your money if you're going with uh, point solutions. And it uh, definitely provides a basis for uh, management activities uh, once once you have uh, the uh, software and hardware necessary to do uh, cybersecurity. second way is um, uh, just to focus on an integrated approach to cybersecurity. As I noted before, uh, you can either secure every... Uh, point of vulnerability with a point solution, or you can look for a more comprehensive package of solutions or a solution set that basically uh, addresses uh, cybersecurity across all points of vulnerability so uh, point solutions increase overhead maintenance you know, we all know what point solutions do, and uh, you know it, uh, in, in many cases it leaves vulnerable gaps. Uh, especially the notion of uh, system and uh, application upgrades. You know, when cybersecurity solutions get upgraded, sometimes they're out of sync with other solutions, and so it's a constant headache to uh, maintain a, a portfolio of different point solutions if that's the approach that you take. So we we think that where you can go with an integrated solution set, you're better off. And um, you know, I, I mentioned it before. But you know, if you're doing things like integrated security for authentication purposes, then you can do interesting things like uh, single sign-on. Uh, we did a study not too long ago where we discovered that uh, just doing single sign-on can radically reduce the, uh, the workload on clinicians and physicians uh, to the tune of uh, days worth of, um, uh, even weeks worth of time during the course of a uh, clinical work year. Uh, additionally, uh, there's the, the impact of authentication that most people don't talk about, which is the the notion of, um, of task switching. So when you are a physician and you're going to see a patient and you have to stop and authenticate, uh, there's that period of time where you're thinking about authentication and not the patient, and then uh, you have to get back to thinking about the patient. Uh, that doesn't necessarily stop your effectiveness, but it seriously Uh, degrades your effectiveness, and so it's something to think about. And then uh, finally, uh, engaging with trusted partners. Uh, As I indicated before, uh, a lot of the cybersecurity expertise is now with the vendor community, Uh, but that can be good uh, because if you find trusted partners that you can engage with, that uh, have uh, the expertise necessary to uh, evaluate where you are and uh, help you develop uh, solutions, then that's a that's a good thing. So you, this is a, an area where you can definitely leverage the expertise of your vendors. Uh, if you have trusted vendors that can help you do this, that's that's a good thing to do. Um, you know, managed security services um, obviously is one way to uh, externalize your overheads and at the same time leverage uh, the expertise that they have to uh, develop comprehensive security plans. So what are the implications of all this? Um, as I indicated before, you know, 2019 is on target to be one of the worst on record for healthcare data breaches. Um, you know, the, the impact of poor cybersecurity now is at a business-threatening uh, level, uh, not just the potential for fines or lost business, but the potential for harming patients. So uh, it's something that we definitely have to get our hands on. Uh, But simply increasing uh, spending on cybersecurity is not the answer, because uh, healthcare is well behind the power curve generally uh, when it comes to keeping up with the threat. So even if we double or triple our spending, uh, it's unlikely for most of us that we're going to be able to catch up with the threat. So what we have to do is we have to get ahead of the threat by developing security plans that allow us to identify where we're vulnerable. We need to um, look for solutions that solve more than one problem that uh, tend to uh, enable uh, an integrated approach across uh, all applications and services. And then finally, finding trusted partners that we can partner with to leverage their expertise to come up to speed um, on uh, our cybersecurity. And with that, I would like to turn this over to uh, Erin Benson, uh, who's uh, Director of Product uh, Market Planning uh, for LexisNexis Healthcare, and um, uh, she's going to talk to us about data's role in digital health. Uh, Erin?
2: Great. Thanks, Mike. And good afternoon, everyone. I really appreciate the opportunity to discuss this topic with you all today. So LexisNexis, we've been partnering with organizations for decades to address identity management challenges, and this includes identity verification and authentication to best protect that healthcare data. Uh, The Frost and Sullivan findings highlight the importance of developing a strategic plan for cybersecurity in order to proactively address this threat, and also the need to focus on a solution that can be integrated with your workflow. We're fully in support with this, and we also recognize that the goals of cybersecurity could sometimes seem a little bit at odds with other organizational goals around patient engagement. With the rise of consumerism and value-based care driving a need to provide patients with a quality experience without introducing a lot of friction into the process, it does seem at odds because cybersecurity calls for more secure access gates, whereas patient engagement needs call for more ease of use of online portals and other healthcare services. So, I wanted to reinforce what Mike has already shared and then provide you with some ideas on how healthcare organizations can balance that need for data security with patient engagement when creating a cybersecurity strategy. So, to put cybersecurity in the context of healthcare workflows, there's no denying technology has played a primary role in how patients are taking control of their health. Patients now access healthcare services through mobile apps, telemedicine, patient portals, wearable devices, and other digital formats. And they complete activities like viewing medical records and lab results, communicating with physicians, scheduling appointments, requesting prescription refills, all from the comfort of their own homes. So in turn, these increasingly digital interactions are requiring healthcare organizations to take a more proactive role in protecting their systems from a breach while maintaining a great patient experience. As digital healthcare has become the new norm and patients are accessing medical data in a variety of ways, this has resulted in more attack points for hackers. In fact, any point in a system where an employee, a vendor, a member, a patient, or any other type of user has the opportunity to gain access. Hackers manipulate these vulnerabilities to gain access to systems, to steal patient identities, gain access to healthcare services or prescriptions, open new lines of credit, facilitate blackmail or extortion, or other reasons. The reason that healthcare organizations seem to be a primary target is because they tend to have outdated systems, lower levels of security, and are statistically known to pay ransom and ransomware attacks as opposed to other companies and other industries. So, if we look at how big the demand is for digital health options and how big the threat is, I just wanted to share a few additional statistics. In terms of demand, 52% of individuals now have the opportunity to access their health record online according to Health IT, and over 70% of millennials prefer to share their health data and manage their care via a mobile app. The increasingly omni-channel model of healthcare allows access through both physical and digital channels, so patients can still show up in person at hospitals and call centers, um, or call in through call centers, or they can access services online via email, computer, or tablet, and through mobile applications. So this demand for digital health options is gonna continue to grow. When we then look at the size of the threat, there's a few more statistics I wanted to add to what Micah shared. Because of the ways in which patients access their health data becomes more sophisticated, so too are the ways that hackers are finding to commit fraud. So looking back in 2017, there were 477 U.S. healthcare breaches, more than 1 in 10 new account openings are fraudulent with 60% of those accounts being created using a mobile device. There's been a 202% growth in login attacks since 2016 and 88% of all ransomware attacks were against healthcare organizations in 2017. When fraudsters are successful, it compromises the patient's trust in their healthcare organization, increases cost for the healthcare organization if they have to remediate a breach, and potentially leads to patient safety risks. If any of the patient's health data is altered as a result of that breach, and caregivers then act on bad information. So I suspect by now it's alarmingly clear that cybersecurity has to be addressed. Um, But what was interesting is that not all of your peers recognize that need. In April of this year, LexisNexis commissioned a survey on more than 100 healthcare organizations about their cybersecurity strategies, and I wanted to share some of the results. And it will be interesting, too, to see how those compare to the results from your survey later on. So, in our survey results, 58% of healthcare organizations expressed that they believe the cybersecurity of their online patient portal is above average. What Mike shared with you and the previous statistics I've shared shows that can't possibly be true given the growing number of breaches. Another finding was that 56% of healthcare organizations surveyed believe the main reason patients don't use online portals is because they're uncomfortable with the technology. This didn't sound unreasonable, so we wanted to look for evidence. And what we found was a University of Michigan study that found that patient portal adoption for patients between the ages of 50 and 80 ranged from 49 to 52%. So even this older population, what seemed to be the least likely to adopt these new technologies was showing a desire for online options. When we asked what portal authentication methods that these healthcare organizations were leveraging to secure their patients' data, 93% of them stated they were using a username and password. Only 39% said they were using knowledge-based authentication, 38% using email verification, and 13% deploying some kind of device authentication. Since fraudsters are becoming increasingly sophisticated at hacking and breaking into our systems, we strongly encourage multi-factor authentication in order to address the different types of fraud. It's becoming really clear that one type of security is not enough. For example, in the first quarter of last year, there was a record one billion bot attacks where bots were testing thousands of username and password combinations within seconds, looking for the right combination to access a portal or a system. So for those organizations in our study that were only utilizing username and password, their data would have been at extreme risk of being hacked. One final finding from the survey was that 65% of healthcare organizations stated that their patient identity management budget or cybersecurity budget will not change or will decrease this year. I found this interesting um, because of the fact that it can have such a financial impact on the organization when a breach occurs. Data breaches cost healthcare organizations directly in terms of recovery and remediation costs, but also indirectly in terms of loss of productivity, reputational damage, and service disruption. So although I know that budgets can be tight, I fully agree that this should be an area that gets thoughtful investment, and it may not be increasing it, but it is making sure that it's addressing multiple types of security. So the bottom line is that we know that patients need to get access to their health data, and that by playing a bigger role in managing their own health, it helps to improve their health outcomes. There's evidence to support the benefits of digital access to healthcare, such as portal access, being correlated with a reduction in readmissions, but we can only accomplish this by gaining and maintaining patient trust. For example, Health IT article reported that 25% of patients that failed to access their account stated the reason was due to their concern about the privacy and security of online medical records. So this leads to the question, how do we create a cybersecurity strategy that meets the needs of data security and meets the needs of patient engagement? At LexisNexis, we see identity as the key to finding this balance in today's digital economy. Identity management and proofing in tandem with new technological innovations allows organizations to perform intuitive linking of data points to the accurate identity Leverage cross-industry analytics to determine if a patient actually exists and if all of the identity information entered by the user is accurate and belongs together. And monitor transaction activity across industries, including the financial, retail, insurance, and government industries, using machine learning to build analytics and provide fraud intelligence. So by having the ability to address and link data points like username and email address, biometrics, geolocation, and a person's digital behavior and reputation across industries, to phone numbers, addresses, dates of birth, and relatives and associates. This is key in protecting your patient population. Basically, in order to protect their data, you have to know who to grant access to and be able to verify their identities. Knowing your patients will allow you to validate the right users get access to their information while keeping the fraudsters out. So to put identity management intelligence into action, we recommend building a multi-layered security approach to implement throughout your workflow. Um, whether it be when they're entering portals or if it's looking at where vendors are entering, different systems, or even employees. Again, it's any point of access to your systems. The goal here is to build the right level of verification and authentication across the workflow so that the right patients get through with little to no friction and the fraudsters are kept out, hitting several security blocks due to the detection of synthetic or manufactured identity information or their lack of proof that they are who they say they are. So, I'm going to briefly walk through some of the identity verification layer options, and then we'll talk through some best practices. The first layer is contextual, based on how a patient interacts with your site, your portal, or your mobile application. This layer is a great first line of defense against fraudsters, and is completely frictionless to the patient. It analyzes the device being used to access your site or mobile application, and the behavior of the person as they maneuver through your site. It looks for patterns that would indicate whether or not they are a regular user, a fraudster, or some type of technical threat like a bot. The second layer is based on how well the patient's information compares to others. Here is where public and proprietary information paired with linking technology is leveraged to determine if the input data being presented is representative of the actual identity and if that information belongs together. The third layer leverages something you are. So this is where biometric technology comes in. It uses voice recognition or fingerprint scanning to authenticate an identity. The fourth layer is contributory. So this leverages what others know about you. So by collecting data from other organizations and other industries to monitor when or if an identity has been seen throughout the network, how frequently, and if the identity was involved in any past fraudulent activity. Because the interesting thing is, if a fraudster commits fraud in one industry, they're likely to do it in another. Next is possession-based. It leverages what the patient already has, like their email address, their phone number, or a government-issued ID, like a license or passport, to verify their identity. It tests whether the ID is real or if the email or phone number receiving a one-time password is valid and belongs to the person who's requesting access. Finally, there's knowledge-based, which leverages information that only the true person should readily know about themselves to authenticate their identity. So even though I've presented five different options for the types of security layers in a multi-factor authentication approach, it's important to keep in mind that not all the layers are necessary for every type of transaction. The layers in a multi-layered approach should be customized to your specific workflow and use case, and they should achieve balance by pairing low friction and high security solutions. So for example, in healthcare, if you're looking at a new account opening on a portal, You might want to assess the device being used to create the account, validate the information entered by the user, matches to the right identities, information, and public records, and present a knowledge-based authentication quiz to make sure the person creating the account is who they say they are. For a login use case, you would still want to assess the device being used to log in, but then you might want to compare that identity to known fraud lists from various industries to see if they've been flagged before. And finally, if anything flags as suspicious, you could do a one-time password sent to the identity's verified phone number. So for both of these examples, it wasn't necessary to send a patient through all five layers of security, but we do recommend at least two or three with step-up authentication options per transaction type because there are different types of fraud that you're trying to stop. We also recommend putting the lower friction options, which are those that occur behind the scenes, like device and behavioral assessment, first in the process. This minimizes the inconvenience to your patients because they can be validated quickly without really having to interact with the security layers. Step-up authentication can then be used when earlier layers of security detect suspicious anomalies. This provides a second opportunity for the real patients to validate their identities and enter the system, but also introduces more friction that can ultimately stop your would-be fraudsters. So as I wrap up, I just want to emphasize once more that cybersecurity isn't a policy that just lives in a vacuum in an IT department somewhere. It's an essential part of doing business, of building the trust that's needed to advance patient engagement in the digital age. So the CISO at Christiana Care Health System emphasized this by saying, I believe that information security is a patient safety issue, and I think a lot of organizations are just starting to think about it as not just a risk to a patient's information, but a risk to a patient's life bad information in a medical record could actually kill someone. Another IT executive who participated in our CHIME survey this year said that patients will go somewhere else because they don't trust that you can take care of their data. So I hope today's presentation is giving you some important insights to achieving that trust through a multi-factor authentication cybersecurity strategy. And Mike, I'll turn it back over to you.
1: Great, Erin. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, very, uh, very interesting uh, presentation. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm very gratified as an analyst to see that uh, your findings tend to uh, reinforce the findings that we've, uh, we've found in our research. So uh, I, think the, uh, I think the telemetry from the market is, is actually pretty consistent um, and just illustrates uh, the, the importance of addressing this problem, because uh, as I indicated, it's not going to get better. Uh, At this point in time, before we take questions from the audience, uh, I'd like to turn it back over to Anna to uh, talk about uh, the polling results.
0: Very well, thanks Aaron, thanks Mike. So these are our results, Um, our first poll question. We have uh, 25% of our audience indicated yes and 75% of our audience indicated no when we asked, do you believe your cybersecurity posture is sufficient? Our second poll question here, do you plan to increase your cybersecurity spending? 100% of our audience indicated yes. And our third poll question, would you consider using a managed cybersecurity services company? 66% indicated no and 33% indicated yes.
1: Fascinating. Um uh- Interesting results, but I think that uh, the first uh, the first response is telling. Uh, you know, 75% of uh, the uh, the people in our audience uh, believe that uh, we can do more for cybersecurity. So, I think that uh, you know within within this audience and the presenters, anyway, I, I think there's unanimity of agreement that uh, this is a problem that we need to address. And now I think we're ready for some questions.
0: Very well, thank you, Mike. So our first question here, this is for Aaron. Aaron, why do you think there are such disparities in organizations' confidence in their cybersecurity strategies and cost impact of real breaches attacks? Where is the disconnect?
2: Yeah, I'm actually i pleasantly surprised to see on this call that um, with our survey here that they are recognizing the strategies aren't sufficient. That definitely lines up better with the data than um, some of the survey results that we saw. I think where the discrepancy is is that we are seeing a lot more adoption of multi-factor authentication, but there's so many different types of fraud um, and, you know, as Mike alluded to, so many different options that it's hard to find what's the right pairing of different security solutions. and so. There tends to be uh, an understanding that if they have anything in place that they've protected the system. Um, I think doing a more thorough evaluation of the different types of fraud and making sure that you've got different types of solutions to address the most common types um, is where there could be room for improvement.
0: Thank you, Erin. So, Mike, uh, you mentioned encryption as being a potential solution to cybersecurity. Why isn't encryption used more than it currently is?
1: Well, it's a really good question. And, um, you know, I think there are several reasons why encryption, you don't see more encryption being used. You know, the first one is that encryption has a reputation for complexity. And, in fact, in many cases that's well-deserved uh, because, uh, you know, we're we're essentially – uh, looking back in time at uh, at points where you know p- applying uh, you know uh, encryption keys and and maintaining those and and putting in the technology was a complicated exercise but in today 's world uh, encryption is more often than not the use of appliances to uh, do encryption on the fly. Uh, but we still have the problem, which I think is the second second reason why people don't use encryption more. We have the problem of controlling keys. Who has access to the information? Who uh, who has access to the uh, decryption keys? Um, you know, what happens if somebody leaves? How do you uh, maintain the the key system? And and so at the end of the day, I think people look at it and say you know it's going to introduce a huge amount of complexity uh you know I don't really understand it very well and uh, so consequently it's something that we'll consider and maybe use in special cases but you know I think ultimately that's where we're going I think that ultimately uh encryption is the only way we're going to absolutely safeguard data um, but uh you know it's not being used right now because I think there's just uh you know a the, the assumption that it's complex it's going to take a lot of effort to, to make it work
0: thank you now Aaron how can an organization face the challenge of identity application solutions and integration with an ER with an EHRs like epic
2: yeah so we get a lot of questions around how do we make this um, more seamless in terms of putting it just at the front of patient login portals so that it's not like you're going to a separate site to authenticate your identity before you can log in. Um, so we you know, we work with organizations to build it into all of their client-specific websites, um, but when you look at the big EHR groups like Epic, um, they are partnering with organizations that make it easy to turn this kind of capability on and off within, for example, Epic's MyChart. Um, So, that can be a way to get a quicker, uh, I guess, path to finding cybersecurity is looking at if your EHR vendor already has access to some of these cybersecurity uh, capabilities built in.
0: Very well, thank you, Erin. So, with limited IT budgets, how will healthcare IT organizations get ahead of the threat curve?
1: I'll take a whack at that. Um, uh, Yeah, it's true that uh, healthcare IT budgets have been uh, uh, restrained. Uh, The growth in uh, healthcare IT spending has been less than some other market verticals. And so I I think that, uh, you know, what we see at Frost is if it's simply a matter of spending money to uh, try and get ahead of the curve, uh, that's not going to work. Um, you know there like I say, there are many, many solutions out there trying to choose the best solutions and then trying to make it work with all the other solutions um, uh, you know it's it, it's it 's a fool's errand because you know basically the threat can outspend any market vertical uh, and discover exploits faster than than we can plug the gaps. So I think that you know the key to getting ahead is to spend your money differently. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, as I suggested, some ways to do that are, you know, to look for uh, integrated solutions rather than point solutions to work with, uh, you know, perhaps partners who can provide a portfolio of solutions that work well together, uh, you know, ultimately looking at, um, you know, a, a more efficient spend dynamic. now. You know, Frost and Sullivan also projected an increase in in revenue in this market. And how's that possible if you know budgets are constrained and spending is uh, spending is is also constrained? Um, you know, I think the key here is that uh, you know, as we look to the future, you know, with more integrated uh, IT environments that are using things like uh, big data and cloud, and uh, you know. Uh, you know, managed services and so forth. We're going to have the opportunity to uh, externalize some of our costs and invest in other areas. And so, looking at this from a sort of holistic standpoint, I think basically we believe that, um, uh, you know, budgets will reflect, you know, a change in sort of IT architecture where many of the fixed costs now are externalized. Uh, Some of the the other costs are are, um, Managed by third parties as well, so uh, so we think that it, you know that uh, the budgets may be constrained, but we can uh, apply them probably more intelligently, and uh, you know we think that'll happen going forward.
2: Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is that I think in the past IT has been seen really separate from like member experience or patient engagement areas, and we're seeing a lot more cross collaboration. Um, which has actually meant that sometimes like other department budgets can also go to support some of these activities, which may be a way that can help to supplement some of that. Yeah,
1: good good point.
0: Very well. Our next question here, healthcare involves different actors, healthcare providers, doctors and healthcare insurance companies. Are you finding more cybersecurity issues, challenges with providers? Or insurance companies.
1: Uh, I can take an initial whack at that, uh, but Aaron, I think I'd like you to wade in as well. Um, you know, I think from our perspective, you know, just looking at uh, what is is happening out there, we see that the uh, uh, providers are are definitely um, uh, at the tip of the spear when it comes to uh, you know the threat. Uh, principally, because you know, healthcare providers have uh, many points of vulnerability associated with patient, patient access, whereas some of the others might not. Uh, also uh, you know, the healthcare provider space involves many large players, but also many medium-sized and small players, and the smaller the player, the more likely it is that the security is going to be uh, less than effective. So. Uh, you know, we definitely kind of see it as being, uh, you know, a a provider problem, at least initially. Erin?
2: Yeah, no, it it definitely is a a bigger problem within the provider community. Um, For one, with the survey, at least, that we did of the 100 healthcare organizations, it included providers and insurance companies, and it seemed like the insurance companies had maybe invested a little bit earlier on in some of the multi-factor authentication solutions, so they just have some stronger systems in place, whereas a lot of providers are still implementing their EHR systems and adding cybersecurity systems on top of that, so uh, they're just kind of a little bit behind on that curve. Um, but I think your point is, is accurate as well, which is that there's a lot more with providers having different access points, um, and there's also just a lot more interesting data to fraudsters within providers They can get access to medical records and labs and things like that that may not be available through an insurance company. Um, And unfortunately, given the number of breaches that have happened uh, in other areas, things like social security number is somewhat of a commodity on the black market, whereas medical data is still uh, really interesting to fraudsters and people looking to buy that type of data, so that makes providers more vulnerable.
0: Our next question here, what do you think will be the tipping point that makes HCOs spend sufficiently on cybersecurity versus continually cutting budgets?
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, from my perspective, uh, you know, we're, it's, it's clear that uh, we're evolving to uh, some significant breach that is going to, uh, know, basically capture the attention of everybody. Um, you know, typically uh, typically you see things like investing in security uh, being sort of secondary until there's really, uh, you know, such a significant breach that, uh, you know, it perhaps leads to the collapse of the company or, uh, you know, some other really, really bad outcome. So, uh, you know, I hate to be a pessimist here, but I think that there's uh, really going to have to be a major uh, a major event that captures everybody's attention before, uh, you know, some of some of the players in the space uh, take cybersecurity as seriously as they could.
0: Thank you, Mike. And I just wanted to remind our audience, under the um, Attachments tab at the bottom of your webinar player, we have some... Um, websites, some links to some websites that you can um, find out more information on um, growth, questions on our growth opportunities in your industry. Also, we have uh, a website on the state of the patient identity management from LexisNexis and also a a document on the new face of cybersecurity. So, uh, we have time for one more question, so let's go ahead and uh, finish this here. Um, HIMSS surveys indicate that most healthcare IT organizations feel their security is adequate. How would you respond to this?
1: Well, I, I think that Aaron uh, actually uh, uh, discussed this uh, in, in some depth. You know, as to you know why uh, we think perhaps uh, you know that our our security Is is better than it really is is I think that uh, you know some of it is uh, wishful thinking it's that uh, we haven't had you know a particular player might say we haven't had a a major event consequently you know uh, it's not that it's not that big an issue we must be uh, doing a fairly good job Um, but you know it's not a it's not a question of of, uh, if it's a question of when Uh, the threat is increasing uh, almost, uh, I won't say exponentially because that's an exaggeration. But it's increasing at, at a you know better than linear rate over time, and uh, so I, I think kidding ourselves that our security is better than it really is 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 just uh, doing everybody a disservice. So uh, you know there are political reasons for thinking or. Uh, uh, asserting that your security is good uh, there are even uh, regulatory reasons why you might assert that your security is good you know when it comes time to explain yourself uh, you know to an investigator but i think that you know the the, the reality of it and it's uh, illustrated every single day with uh, you know, breach reports is that you know our security isn't so um you know, I think I think uh if you think about it clearly you realize that uh you know in fact um you know our security collectively is, could be a whole lot better. So um, you know, Aaron, anything to add to that?
2: No, I think that's exactly what's occurring.
1: Yeah. So anyway, Aaron, well. uh, back to <laughs>
0: Okay. Thank you so much. So I'm going to end the session, but I'd like to once again thank Aaron Benson for joining us today. If you do have any further questions for Mike about the briefing or would like to speak to him one-on-one, I have posted some contact details that are appearing on your screen at this time. And this concludes today's presentation. We hope you found today's webinar informative. We want to uh, thank you for your time today.